0: Welcome to the Entrepreneurs Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj.
1: All right, welcome to Entrepreneurs Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is a former chemical engineer and Fulbright Scholar left the corporate world to become a full-time real estate investor after nine years of side hustling. He's the owner of Pizon Properties, a team of local Pennsylvania buy and hold experts who purchase and improve rental properties in the Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania area. And he and his wife started doing renovations themselves in 2014 and now own over 200 rental units without any investors or partners by buying deals off market. And after side hustling for almost a decade, he quit his corporate job and now buys and re- reposition small multifamily properties full time. So let's welcome Matthew Pizan. How are you doing today, Matthew? Victor, so thank you so much for the introduction. Doing well. That's great to have you on. And uh, I'd like to start by asking to please share your story. How did you wind up uh, becoming an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, so um, when I graduated from college in 2010, um, I was a chemical in, chemical engineering major and uh, I started working for a big chemical company and my uh, there weren't as that many roles at the time. I was lucky to have a job and I was put in an IT role and there weren't processes, there weren't procedures, there weren't instructions and uh, I, I struggled in the role. I wasn't prepared and my boss told me in a team meeting one time that I was the worst employee he ever had and the company should fire me. And At that point, I knew that I didn't want to rely on an employer. Um, I had $50,000 of debt from student loans. Um, I was terrified, and I realized that I needed to rely on myself um, and not on some boss um, in some big company. So um, I knew in that moment, but I didn't know how that I was going to be an entrepreneur, Um, but I knew that I wanted to be um, adding value out there, um, not dependent on an employer, and that's what kicked it off for me.
1: Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. So you're a chemical engineer uh, graduate in 2010. You want to work for a big company. You got put in IT and you really didn't get any training. weren't prepared, which to me seems a little unfair. And, and uh, basically, your boss just re- uh, really let you have it and you were just a horrible employee and that they should fire you. So, I, I, like any other employee, that got you scared. And you realize it's probably not a safe thing to be working for someone else. So, you became, you know, started, I guess, looking at entrepreneurial stuff. And not an easy right. thing to do because at the time you also 50000 in debt because of, you know, the school loan. So so how was it, you know, so was it from that point on you, you started looking at opportunities and in, in entrepreneurship and how was it considering you also in debt, which is not easy to do? Yeah,
0: so I... Um... I took a little bit of a detour. Um, the way that I really discovered real estate entrepreneurship was I was actually outside of the United States. So I wanted to go back to live in Spain. I also did a Spanish major and I'm fluent in Spanish. And I, so I, I went and I wanted to further my education. I did an MBA for my Fulbright scholarship. And that's when I discovered debt. I discovered financing. I discovered uh, leverage business. And that's where I really learned about real estate investing in business school. So then in 2014, that's when I started buying real estate and side hustling, buying properties on nights and weekends. And uh, um, so really outside of the United States is where I found entrepreneurship at an entrepreneurial university. And uh, um, that's when I started putting the pieces together about using real estate to uh, get out of my corporate job and uh, not have to rely on just one customer. Now I have many customers. I don't just have one. (laughs) So.
1: So okay, okay, that makes sense. You you got your MBA. You you went to Spain. You are fluent in Spanish, and that's where you learn about real estate investing and other entrepreneurial stuff. Now you mm-hmm. said um you were buying properties nights and weekends. Was this while you were doing your MBA, or was this uh you know you came back, you did a regular nine to five job while working on real estate on the side?
0: That, that's what it was. So I came back and I was working actually for the same chemical company. Um, and then I was working uh, nights, weekends, getting up early, going to see properties. And I was side hustling uh, for uh, a solid nine years uh, thereafter, once I bought my first property in October, uh, 2014. Um, so I was, I was basically side hustling because it, it was this catch-22 for a long time. The, the banks, to get loans, they wanted to see the W-2 income. Um, they wanted to see that, that solid uh, employment, strong financials. Um, so I was, I was having to do both for a very long time uh, to, to build that experience, build that resume and, and build up my balance sheet. Um, so that's what I did. I side hustled for a long time to keep buying those properties and getting that financing from the banks.
1: I know. Thanks for sharing that. that makes a lot of sense. I think sometimes of people want to get, want to become entrepreneurs, they say, well, let me just get started. But right. like you said, sometimes you may need some money, and, and the banks won't give you that money if they don't see W two income. So and a lot That's of right. entrepreneurs they do it part time, starting off like you did. You, know, you had you had this full time job, you know, you had some debt you had to pay off, so you did it nights and weekends. So it, it was a side hustle, and it took you nine years. So um, right. a lot of people, um, I think, in this day of instant gratification, they say, "Oh, I'm going to be a millionaire in one week." It does not work that way, especially if you've never. Done entrepreneurship, you have no idea what you're learning. Um, I have to assume there was probably a, a a big learning curve in the beginning, right? Oh, it, it was, and um,
0: you know, there's there's two schools of thoughts. You know, bur- burn the boats um, and just go all in, or do what I did, which was a little bit more of a um, slow, methodical, calculated approach. I mean, the chemical engineering side of me is always there. It's it's very. Um, I, I like to you know run the numbers, do the math, let the math, tell me what to do. So I, I took a very methodical approach and, uh, um, worked full time while I was buying, buying real estate, but it's, it definitely was not an overnight, you know, it was an overnight success, uh, really 13 years in the making. Um, and, uh, uh it, it was all about, uh, learning the basics from the ground up. I did my own bookkeeping. I did my own management. I learned the on-the-ground operational skills, um, and now, fortunately, I'm able to um, build processes, build procedures, and hire those things out because I did them so long myself. But I really know this business inside and out, and now I'm able to train, coach, and lead because I know I know all the steps. So
1: exactly. In the beginning, you have to do you have to wear several hats. Um, oh yes, yeah. because you can't afford to hire people so. But to really scale yourself, as you've discovered over the years, that you, once you've learned the best, you need to hire other people, teach them what you know, so they can focus on the other things, and you can focus on the things you're really good at. So that's definitely one good thing um, you know to know when you're getting started. You may you may need to wear silver hats because you can't you can't afford to hire other people, but eventually you will have to do it if you want to get big. So what are some of the other things you learn? Over the years, while you were building this business, personally, are yeah, working a full-time income. So, w- what can you tell people who are thinking about doing that? Saying, "Man, can I do this?" Number one, I'm working forty hours a week. Can I? Can I spend another twenty hours building my business on the side? Sounds like a, a lot of work, and I don't know if I have time for that.
0: Yeah, I, the way I would respond to that is, you can't afford not to. I mean, it, you know, it's it's difficult to it's. It's very difficult working now, unless if you're making multiple six figure incomes and it's it's very difficult to build a strong, sustainable financial future um, without having some type of uh, of business activity um, or, or it's side hustling. It doesn't even have to be a business. So I would say that that either, whether it's another job or a third job, um, but specifically for the audience here for entrepreneurship, you can't afford not to. And so um, some of the things I learned, um, and I mentioned this somewhat already, but a different twist, your personal financial picture, so your credit score, your cash reserves, all those things really form the foundation of getting loans and getting financing. And I I was able to grow and scale by being very deliberate and disciplined with, with financial matters. So it starts with your personal financial statement, and then it what you do in your personal life will mimic what you do in your business life. So, um, growing your personal financials um, is just is it's uh, it's critical starting out. But then also a little bit of that grit and perseverance and seeing the long the long game. Um, it's, it's hard to really put in the hours and, and do all the things over and over and over, you know, meanwhile, all other friends or family members are having fun or they're spending money or doing other things, but you as the entrepreneur uh, need to focus and, and really buckle down and, and build because the, in order to get, um, out of that initial startup phase, it takes a lot of energy and you have to find that grit, find that perseverance, um, and be smart.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, and I like what you said at the beginning. You can't afford not to do this. A right. be able people look at that way. They just and like you said, they have a short term view of everything. They don't see the long term view because you mentioned um, uh, you got to look at the long game. A lot of times, people say, "Man, I got to make all these sacrifices. I can't do these things. I can't hang out with friends. My friends are having so much fun." Right, and uh, and there's a saying I came across recently. It says, "Excuses make today easy, but tomorrow hard. Discipline will make today hard." But it's more easy. So in the beginning, it's going to be hard when in the long run, as you discovered over the course of those nine years, it became a lot easier. And um, and eventually, you're able to leave that job. So my question to you is, how how would someone know when they can make that leap and quit that W-2 job and in favor of just working full-time in, in being an entrepreneur, or in your case, being a full-time real estate entrepreneur? How do you know when is the right time to make that jump? The rule of thumb that I use now, it depends on each person and what your level of
0: risk is. Um, I tend to be more risk averse and want to have things a little bit more um, on firm footing before I would take the leap. But the rule of thumb that I used was I I wanted the business profits on a consistent basis to be more than three times my take home pay from my job. Um, So I, I looked at that over multiple years. And I said, okay, you know, I think, uh, I think now's the time because my, my business has been consistently, not one quarter, (laughs) not one month, not one year, but it's consistently returning more, um, than what that W2 job, um, was providing. And really it was an opportunity cost it by spending 40 hours in this job. Now that my business was up and running and consistently performing better in profits, Um, By spending more time on the job, I was taking away from the growth potential that the business had. So once it was clear as day to me that I was actually taking away from my business, um, not trying to grow it, but actually holding it back, that's to me when I needed to focus on
1: it full time. And that makes a lot of sense. So uh, one important point you made was not you you wanted to make three times as much on your side business as you were at your regular W two job. Some people might do it two or one at a certain point. But another important point you mentioned was consistent returns, not just one good quarter, one good half right. year. Right. Uh, yeah, it was like apparently a number of years, and then you said, "Well, I'm getting some consistent income. It's like three times what I'm making before, and I'm losing money." Work in my full-time job, whereas if I right. can use that sign to close more deals, so you realize it was a big opportunity cost. So combination of the opportunity cost plus consistently getting the big returns. A lot of times people yes. will leave after three months or six, they'll quit their job They'll focus on it. And, and, you know, things can be cyclical sometimes when you're an entrepreneur and then like, yeah. oh man, they have a tough three or six months, they're losing money and they don't have that W2 income. So, so you, you, you point out some dangers to be aware of, you know, make sure it's a good amount of time, make sure it's consistent. And and like I said, is there an opportunity cost to staying here? W two job, they, you could be getting a lot more money working the business. So definitely some really great points. Now and a real uh, opportunity cost, not a perceived, because
0: a lot of people like to overvalue their efforts and they like to overvalue what the potential is. So you have to look at what the what actually happened, right?
1: <laughs> no, no yeah, that's very true. Very good point there too. Yep. Um, so for you know, and while you're working this business, you know, while you're working a full time job. What are some of the uh, ways a person can find deals, you know, you know, off the market while they're working their job? Because, you know, most people are probably going to do this part time like you did. So what are some of the best ways they can find deals?
0: Right. So um, I use my vacation strategically to uh, take a day off here or there to go uh, look at deals when they would come up. Um, so I wasn't doing nearly the volume that we are today, but, um, I would, I would cherry pick the right opportunities and then request a day off or a half day off for the next day and, and go look at properties. Um, but even, um, depending on, you know, if, if employees have office doors or different things, you can take your lunch. If your, your boss is flexible, you could take your lunch at different times as calls come in and things you can speak with sellers, um, depending on what your business is and, and, uh, and, and really try to to double hat during the workday. Instead of you know, uh, instead of you know, taking a lunch and socializing in the cafeteria or different things with uh, other coworkers, I was using that the, my breaks, which I was entitled to, uh, to to grow the business um, throughout the day. And I would schedule calls after work, um, or or go look at properties on weekends and set things up during the week in the office so that Saturday morning I could meet with two or three sellers. So um, those are just some of the tips that I used, um, and just using my any and all free time that I could get, including my vacations to grow the business.
1: All right. That's some really good stuff there. So yeah, you would take a, a day off or a half day off, you know, to look at deals. During lunch, you work your business where a lot of people just using the whole hour just to eat lunch. You're on Facebook or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, and, and after work, you know, you can also talk business with other people. So your free time you use strategically to work the business. So so for people who say I don't have a lot of time, if you use your time wisely, you can really get a lot done and and you are an example of that. You didn't have a whole lot of free time having a full-time job and a family, but you were able to make the best use of it and eventually you were able to quit your job and do it as full time. So definitely some really good stuff here. And um and I would just add
0: skills as well because one additional thing is as you're building those skills and as you're learning the bookkeeping, the accounting, you know, the sales techniques, it gets easier. You just know what to do. In the beginning, I made a lot of mistakes, and so it was there was more friction in the beginning. But as you consistently perform and do things over time, uh, it, it makes double hadding a little bit easier as you get better.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's repetition. As you do things more and more, it gets easier. Yeah, like you said, you're going to make mistakes at the beginning, but as you do it more and more. Um, you're going to get better at it. repetition is the matter of skills. Oh, yes. Much of skill and skills will pay the bills. So I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah. Now, uh, I actually wanted to talk about um, how important was your mindset and personal development when you got started? Because I'm sure, you know, in the beginning, you know, you, 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 everyone struggles a little bit in the beginning and sometimes they feel like, is it worth it? Now, what was it that kept you going that day, you know that made you say, "I this is definitely worth I'm going to keep doing it?
0: Yeah, I, well, I think so. The having strong motivation for um, for me was very important. Um, part of the motivation was um, not having to rely on one employer, um, and also just from you know growing up from a you know lower to middle class income. Um, you know, not always. You know, I remember when my parents got divorced. I was eight, and just okay. Are we going to be able to have Christmas? Can we afford this? There, there were some some traumas like that growing up. That, uh, that are motivators for me to this day. And just having feelings of significance, I'm um, wanting to make a difference. So all those things were motivators. But so back to your mindset question, I didn't have the mindset. <laughs> so this wasn't something I, you know, I I, I came out of college with $50,000 worth of debt, you know, some some dreams of what I thought I could do, but I didn't know how to run a business. I, I No one in my family ever owned a business before. <laughs> so I, I didn't have the mindset. I had to go learn the mindset. I had drive, but I, so... You know, in my office, I have you know I'm looking at all the books and my bookshelf and stuff like that. I read probably 100, 200 books, um, just on how to run a real estate company, how to manage, how to think about business, how to think about wealth. Um, I didn't know any of those things, and I didn't learn it in college. I certainly didn't learn it in high school and and the public education system. So um, neither here nor there. But I didn't have the skills, so I needed to learn them. And so that's that's what I did. The motivation drove me, but then I had to learn the mindset.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, yeah, you had to learn the mindset, you had the motivation, which helped. but you know, you worked at it. And one thing you just said, you read 200 books on real estate and uh, how real estate probably stuff like that. Yep. How many people are willing to read 200 books to make themselves as as skillful, as good as they can be? Like, it seems like a lot of people like they might read one book and they're like, eh. but uh, you read 200 books, that means you were really. You had this great desire, this motivation to really become successful in real estate because you put in a lot of time and effort. And that you know, for those for those that are listening, th- that's the difference between those that really succeed and those that don't. You're you want you trying to make yourself as as skillful as, 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 you know, you're trying to make yourself as good as possible. People, a lot of people know this. The average CEO reads four to five books a month. The average person reads one book a year. There's a reason why some of those people are CEOs and the other people are not because they try to learn as much as possible. They might learn one or two things in that book that can change their life, change their business. And I'm sure as you were reading those books, you say, ah, this works, this works. I should be doing this. Because I'm sure as you were reading each of these books, you found something that yeah, that could help in your business, right?
0: Oh, oh absolutely. I, w- I was looking for, I, I, I saw that there were successful people out there and I thought, well, what are they doing? And I, I realized that success leaves clues. And so I heard someone say that one time, and and it's uh, it, I wanted to study what they were doing, and they were and they were writing it all down too. <laughs> it wasn't like it was some mystery. the The, the answers are out there, um, and they're they're recorded in the form of books. And so I I read books. I read a lot of books. And these days, as I'm building and scaling the company, I haven't as much recently because I'm really focused on basically recording everything that I know. Now I'm almost it's almost flipped. Um, so I'm not reading as much while I record what I know, but. I will get back to it, and and but when I was starting, I realized that everyone had recorded what they know, and they were doing things successfully, and and uh, their books were bestsellers. Why not read them and implement what they said?
1: Exactly, learn from others, or as you mentioned, success leaves clues. So a lot of it's already been done. So learn from these successful people. They've recorded, they have courses, they have books. So read what they wrote and uh, learn from them. That's some of the best way to do it. And it'll save you a lot of time and frustration. Now, one of the oh, things. Yeah, you- yeah. And I listened to podcasts,
0: shows like this. I mean, I just, I just consumed uh, it, and on the commute too. I mean, and so going back to the double hatting thing, I mean, it was, it was my mobile university. That was my car on my commute, you know, 25 minutes one way. And I was, I was listening to books. I was right. Re- so it wasn't just sitting just to paint the correct picture. It wasn't just like I carved out all this free time from my, uh, from my life and, and was just, you know, sitting in a corner and no one was bothering me. And I, I had all this alone time. That wasn't the case because I had a full-time job, fiance, we were planning a wedding, you know, all these things. And it was just, I was double-hatting along the way, um, you know, reading books in my commute, stuff like that.
1: Right. So, during audio
0: books, audible, stuff like that. Yeah,
1: exactly. Why well, you had that free time, like you, like your commute, where you're in the car in a train or bus, whatever you're doing something with, it. you're listening to audiobooks. you're listening to podcasts. Doing, you do something with that time. A lot of people, you drive their car, they they might put on some music. It's okay, but it's not going to help you become better. But if you listen to some motivational stuff, some entrepreneurial stuff, that could definitely change your mindset and personal development, make you become a more successful person. So make the best use of any free time that you have. Look, I know people, they'll be on the line at the store and they're waiting there for 10 minutes. You know what? They're messaging people. You know about their business so they're doing something with their time so when you have these little gaps at time, a lot of people just you know don't do anything but you can find constructive things to do with it like you did so definitely some good stuff here so one of the things you you do is um you know you you work with rental properties so what are the what are some of the top things you have used uh the top ways you have used cash out refinance to grow your rental portfolio yeah. So that, that's a great question. And that's a lot
0: about um, growing and scaling a business. So it's um, I have over time looked to add value to properties or to situations. So if there was a property that needs a lot of work or a situation that was very complex, um, residents weren't paying or they were aggressive with the owner or, or whatever, i all solve those situations. Um, I, so I buy properties that aren't um, like cookie cutter, all the work is done. I add value. And the value that, that I add, then then boost the value up of the property. And then I, I look to then, once the value is increased of the property, because I either fix it or renovate the situation, um, then I'll get a loan on the property, just like any other investment property or, or property, and then um, do a cash out refinance. And, and it could be within six months, a year, two, five years. And then I, I look to use those proceeds to buy the next property and renovate the next property or situation. So it's it's... It's, it's been about financial management for me and and doing deals that make sense. Now, if your audience isn't into real estate investing, it, it could be any type of business, but the more value you add, and if your financial situation is strong, you can get loans and leverage. There are tons of different lending products out there, and you can use that those loans to then grow business further. And I basically did the same thing in real estate.
1: And it makes sense. You add value to the property, fix things up. Is there any problems? You take care of the problem. You add more value, and that allows you to get more loans which allows you to invest in another property and you keep repeating the cycle. That makes that's right. A lot of sense. And like you say, you can use it in other businesses as well. Now, one uh, of the things like when you're an investor, is like, Hey, yeah, you got to find a, you know, a good property manager Cause if you get a balance, it could have be, it could be mm-hmm. a big headache. So what are some tips for, you know, people can use for, uh, you know, make sure they hired the right property manager.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So um, I like to ask the property managers that I'm interviewing. I work with three, but I've interviewed more than 30 and I like to ask them, tell me your numbers. So show me your actual, your, your vacancy rate and show me your economic vacancy rate and show me how they differ. And, uh, uh, sh- and basically show me how many people are living in the properties. And if they can't, if they can't give you, okay, well, we're 95% occupied. If they don't know, it means they're not tracking their management close enough. And if they're not tracking their most important metrics, are you sure that they're going to be watching after the property like they should be? Are they going to the property? Are they fixing things in a timely manner? Because if they don't have good reporting, you can bet that they're not watching the details either.
1: That makes sense. If they don't know their numbers, they're probably not too detail oriented. They're probably not going to be a good property manager. I totally agree. That's with right. You on that. Yeah, that's right. And and I track
0: with my my property managers. I put a one half or a zero or whatever percent of the rent that the tenant paid that month. And I track for each property month over month. We put a number in for each property and track it over time. Was it occupied or not? And that way, I know what percent are they paying, or are the the residents paying, and are we having an issue with either is it one property or is it a systemic issue? So I do that for all of my properties because that's the most important. Most important metric to me. So if the managers yeah. don't know, then they're probably not the
1: right one for me. <laughs> exactly, and you got to know your numbers. If you don't know your numbers, um, you really don't have a business. There's a saying: "What gets measured gets managed." If you don't know your numbers, yes. you don't know how to make things better. You don't know how to make improvements. So, th- and I agree. If he, if, it, if the property guy doesn't know his numbers, he's probably not someone you want to hire. So That's now, right. after, now after you made all the improvements, how do you know when is the right time to sell the property? What, how how can you how do you determine that?
0: Right, so the way that I measure is it time to sell the property is I'll look at okay what is the property worth today? I bought it five years ago, and what's the loan? So how what's the difference between what it's worth and what the loan is? And that's called equity. And then I'll say, well, how much am I making in the rental payments after um, all of my expenses? And then I'll just divide the two. So if I'm as a quick example, if if there's forty thousand dollars of equity in a property, let's say it's worth. $150,000, $150,000, my loan is 90. Um, oh, so, uh, sorry, 110 if there's 40,000. So if I have a 110 mortgage worth 150, um, after, um, if after all of the expenses, um, the income that I'm getting is $5,000, then I would just divide the, the 5,000 by the, uh, the 40,000 and say, okay, it's it's one over eight. So I try to, if it's really in that one over eight, one over 10 ratio, when it starts, I'm making less and less rent as a percentage of equity, then I, I'm going to start looking at selling that property, um, and and that's just how I uh, that's how I, I measure it. And another way that I think about it is, in today's market, what I put forty thousand dollars down to buy this property, and if the answer is no, then um, I would look to sell it because I'm effectively leaving the money in the property by not selling it. So um, if I don't want to spend forty thousand dollars to buy that property today, I'll I'll sell it.
1: It right, makes a lot of sense. Uh, definitely, good, great calculations there. Um, now, as we're you know getting toward the end of our interview, are there any last minute pieces of advice you'd like to leave with our audience you know, regarding either entrepreneurship or real estate investing?
0: Um, I would say going back to the theme of grit and perseverance, it takes a lot of initial energy to set things up and learn everything. So, having a strong motivator and a strong reason why. Um, will get you through the hard times because it's not an easy journey. Um, so I would just encourage everyone to um, keep the faith, so to speak, and 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 know that the end result is worth it, even though it's hard today. Um, and that'll get you through. Um, you just need that strong reason why, and uh, you will succeed.
1: I agree. Have the grit and perseverance. These things take time. All great things take time. And um, have that strong motivator, the strong why. Keep the faith, though. Know, in the end, the results will be worth it, but you got to keep your eyes on the prize. So it does take right. some time, um, but if you're patient, everything will work out as long as you have that grit and perseverance and don't give up. So listen, Matthew, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. You sh- shared a lot of great tips, a lot of great value. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Sure. Um, they can
0: reach out to me on my website. It's peasonproperties.com. And I'm happy to meet with anyone from the audience, um, anyone who would like to learn more about real estate investing, you can fill out our form there and I'd love to be in touch.
1: Sounds great. Thanks again, Matthew. Have yourself a great day. You
0: too. Thanks so much for having me, Victor. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star
1: rating review and have an awesome day.